Hi, I'm Chris Sprouse, Speaker of the Florida House and former prosecutor. From policy briefs to white papers, court cases to brutal police records, no matter my role, reading has been a central part of my mission to defend American values. But this isn't just my job. Reading books is a personal passion, and getting to know the authors behind the ideas on the page is one of my favorite pastimes. The Red, White, and Blue podcast is now in session. Welcome back, listeners. Today, I'm talking with renowned author James Patterson, who needs no introduction. Over nearly two decades, he sold over 400 million copies of his award-winning books, which is probably why The New Yorker called him the best-selling novelist of the 21st century. Today, we're going to dive into our shared passion of childhood literacy, where we get to talk about the New World's Reading Initiative that was done by the Florida House and special projects that Mr. Patterson's worked on, like Jimmy Books, which invests in reading initiatives for children and educators. We're also going to talk about Run, Rose, Run, a new novel that's come out by Mr. Patterson, where he co-authors with American legend Dolly Parton. We'll also talk a great deal about the future of childhood literacy and why it matters for America. Here is James Patterson. James, thanks for so much for joining us. No, it's great. It's great. Anytime I can talk about getting kids reading, I'm there. Well, it's, it's awesome to have you. It's not every day that we get to share a conversation with you know, the listeners on one of the world's most famous authors. So I want to get right down to it. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, which is, did you always know you wanted to be an author from, from a, you know, when you were a young age or did it come later on? Uh, it came a little later on. I was, I was always a good student, but I didn't particularly love to read early on. I, I got a job working at a, a mental hospital in Massachusetts when I was uh, just starting to work my way through college. And I, I had a lot of uh, I worked a lot of double you know, overtimes and stuff like that. And I started reading a lot at night, really reading a lot. And then I started scribbling stories and I really liked it. And somebody said, you're lucky if you find something you like to do. And then it's a miracle of somebody will pay you to do it. And that's what's ultimately happened. Well, then your, your life is one big miracle then. Yeah, it is. I love the image of, you know, kind of being in that environment, uh, mental hospital and sort of escaping, escaping into the books. Well, it was an interesting place because uh, uh, James Taylor, the singer, was a patient there. And this was before he was famous, but he had already written Fire and Rain and Sweet Baby James. And he used to sing in a coffee shop. Robert Lowell, a famous poet, was was a patient there. So I got to listen to James Taylor and Robert Lowell for free and actually get paid to do it. So that was kind of kind of cool. That is pretty cool. I uh, I know that you're working on this project called Bookshots, which are you know five dollar books for you know 150 pages or less. It's it's an interesting yeah. concept. So tell me tell me why you started working on that. Well, I, it just seemed to me pretty obvious that a lot of people don't have quite as much time. So I thought if we could we could do books where it would take a couple of hours to read them instead of five or six hours. That for some people that would be useful, and it would keep people reading and keep them, coming, keep them coming into the libraries or or bookstores. So I thought it would be a useful thing to do. Um, and now we, we kind of bundle them. So we'll put two or three into a, into a large paperback. But the same kind of thing. You can read them in a couple of hours. It kind of reminds me a little bit uh, when I was growing up, I used to read, you know, I had this book with all the stories from, you know, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, same sort of thing, you know, limited amount of stories, but catch your attention for a period of time. Yeah, I'm actually writing a book now that deals with Sherlock Holmes, Miss Marple, and Ale- and Poe uh, uh, in, in one book. So that's kind of a fun thing too. I'm a, sort of a Sherlock Holmes fan. 
Wow, that's awesome. I, uh, I was a huge, huge fan growing up. I later on became a homicide prosecutor, which I, I feel like was, you know, Sherlock Holmes's fault. You know, speaking of, you know, kids who, you know, get hooked on reading early, um, you know, you, you've taken your your experience and your your worldwide platform as a as an author and really poured a lot of time into into childhood literacy. And and I think that's that's how actually you and I met was was talking about childhood sure. literacy. And I know, you know, these the statistics about but for our listeners, you know, 88 percent of people who don't graduate from high school we're struggling readers in third grade. 43% of our third graders are not reading on grade level in Florida. But yeah. but unlike most people, you, you're doing something about it. So tell us about how, how, why you started focusing on childhood literacy and, and what are the, some of the projects that you're involved in? Well, I, I think that, um, you know, when, I, when I'll speak in front of a big group of librarians or uh, if I go up to the Capitol and, and, and get the attention of uh, some people in the Congress, uh, I always say I'm, I'm here to save lives because if you think it through, and, and it's every year we don't solve this problem or get closer to solving it, we're gonna we're gonna we're literally will lose thousands of lives around the country uh, because if kids can't read, at least if they're not competent readers, how do they how are they going to get through high school? They're not, and if they drop out, that's a big problem. If they're not competent readers, how are they going to get good jobs? It, it's certainly going to limit the kind of jobs that they can get. Um, and if, if, if college is appropriate for them, they're not going to get into college if, they, if they're not competent readers. And the thing of it is, as you know, and I know we're testing this a bit with the program out of uh, University of Florida, uh, we have a way to deal with this now. Um, I mean, I always like to say we have the vaccine. We just have to make sure that people will use it. We know how to get that, you know, that 43, 44% reading at kids reading at grade level. We can really get that much, much, much higher. Uh, we just have to make that decision that we're going to use this program and help teachers to be even better teachers. Uh, and, and there are very few teachers when given the opportunity to be even better at it and more successful and getting kids reading better that they're going to go, oh, I don't want to do it. I mean, most teachers, you know, they love that. They love the idea of it once, once they understand it. Yeah, no, no doubt. And you mentioned, you know, the University of Florida, and I know that you and I share a common passion for the the Lassinger Center at the University of Florida and all the work that they're doing around childhood literacy and training teachers to help yeah. kids read on grade level. You mentioned the, uh, you know, the work that's happening now. I mean, we, we, as you know, we rolled out the New World's Reading Initiative. You've played a, a large role with the University of Florida in helping that initiative make sure that you know, kids have access to books uh, that they that they get one delivered to their home and their parents get involved. So tell us about how you think. I mean, is that a, is that a model you think is the beginning of, of something unique here in the state of Florida? That I think it's a great idea to get books in the hands of kids, especially, you know, in families where they're not thinking about buying books for kids or they can't afford it. So I think that's a great program. And I think in Florida, you know, can make huge gains and, and actually kind of lead the nation if, 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 if we can follow up on a couple of these things. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's a great thing for anybody behind it to be able to stand up and go, look what I did in Florida. It's great. It's, it's, a, it's a really wonderful thing. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you've also started, you know, as we talk about, you know, investing in these literacy initiatives, I mean, you've done that on your own with, uh, with Jimmy Books. So tell us a little bit about Jimmy Books and how that fits into the childhood literacy movement. Yeah, pretty much everything that we do, even charity wise, I think we've, we've laid about 120 million, Sue and I, into uh, either helping teachers or getting kids reading or giving away books or whatever the heck it is. 
Um, Jimmy um, is an imprint that I have at my publisher, Little Brown. I don't think it's, a lot of people aren't aware that I do a lot of kids books. And in, in a weird way, I think um, they might be the best books that I do. And the, the mission at Jimmy Books is when a kid finishes a Jimmy book, you know, a book from that imprint, uh, that they'll say, please give me another book. As opposed to, you know, millions of kids in the country and a lot of kids in Florida who say I've never read a book that I like. So we really try to make sure that that we're giving kids books. And I don't mean these are not dumbed down books. These are books that are good to read. There's things for them to learn about life. And but they're just they're just interesting to read. And, and the kids will say, I liked it. You know, I was approached by the uh, Einstein estate at one point and they said, James, you know, we want to make sure the kids all around the world are aware of of Albert Einstein and also uh, understand something about about his science. And I said, OK. And they said, but the thing of it is, you got to make it entertaining. So I said, oh, all I have to do is write books for little kids about Einstein's theories and make it entertaining. You know, uh, but I set out to do that. And we did the Max Einstein series, which uh, Apple is actually turning into a, an animated series now. So that's great. But that was I, I, I really took it so seriously because it was such an important thing. And then because of the work that I did on that, uh, Muhammad Ali's estate came to me and said, could you write a book about Muhammad Ali when he was Cassius Clay and living in Louisville? Because all people kind of knew about him was that he, he wasn't a very good student, but he, yeah, he was dyslexic and he, didn't, he really was a very charismatic kid and very focused and, and, and quite bright. Uh, but he just he, he couldn't read very well because he, they didn't know how to deal with it at that point. So so I went out and did and I, I got together with Kwame Alexander, who's a really good uh, kids writer. And we wrote a book that's sort of half prose and, and half uh, poetry, which is appropriate for Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay. And, and Kwame wrote the poetry. He writes a lot of it. it's very accessible stuff. That, that kids love to read. And it, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know, I think like it's up for 10 or 12 already state awards for, so it's a really cool book for kids to read. And I think a good one in the sense that there were a lot of things standing in the way of Cassius Clay in terms of him making it out of the area of Louisville that he lived in. Uh, it was, it was, it was a tough area. You know, he wasn't a good student, not in his own fault, but he wasn't. And yet he just had the grit and the heart and the will to do it. And, and, and so that's his story. And I think it's a good story, I think. And the kids get a kick out of it because it's very readable. Well, it's readable. You, you got them to learn something. And to your point, I love the idea of, you know, the goal is, you know, give me another one. Yeah. And, and, and even in schools, insofar as, as uh, the state can influence, it doesn't make sense to give kids a lot of stuff to read that they're going to reject. It doesn't make sense. If the object is to get them reading, <laughs> then you have to be smart about it. You know, I know when I was growing up, we read an awful lot of stuff that turned us off. You don't need to. There's so many books out there that can turn kids on, especially in the beginning. First, second, third, fourth grades. I mean, let's give them stuff where they go. I love that. Give me another book. I love that. Give me another book. And there's plenty of books out there that, where, where, where that can be the objective. And I hope that in terms of the books that, that we're going to wind up, that you all are going to wind up giving kids, that, that you use that as a little bit of the guide in terms of what books. Uh, the, the most important thing is, is the kids go, that was great. That was a great story. 
Yeah, absolutely. I've, you know, I've got a, a five and seven year old myself and, you know, that's the model we use at home. You know, what do you, what do you want to read? Here's the books and, and, uh, and they get super excited and pick them. But to your point about the New World's Reading Initiative, when we started delivering the books, you know, the, the sort of front door of that was, was your kid interested in, you know, are they interested in space or sports or what do they want to read about? And so that the kids, to your point, they get something that they want to read. And then that the book delivers, you know, it's one thing. Oh, I really love football. Okay, great. Now, is this a, is this a really good football book? So it's, it's that mix of, you know, the interest level and then, and sometimes people find that, you know, they didn't think they would like it uh, because of the subject matter, but they loved it. Oh my God! I didn't. Re- I didn't know I loved horses, but I do <laughs> now that I read a, a great book about horses. So that's another. You know, I, I know there's that standard thing. Well, what do you like? Part of it is uh, there are certain books that are just they're just cool, and everybody, uh, pretty much everybody, likes them. And, and and when you get a kid to read one of those, and they go, "That was great," and all of a sudden you, you've also opened a door for them because they're understanding something that they didn't understand before. Oh, I didn't know about Paris. Wow. Okay, I didn't even know where Paris was. But now I know. And that was that was a cool book. You know, in, in reading to our kids, you know, and they're reading, we're reading to them. And we found now that they've gotten really into chapter books. Um, I just thought, James, like, you know, they're not going to be able to have the attention span to sit here and listen to me read this to them for, you know, 30, 45 minutes. But they get into the story and then it's like it's getting late. It's bedtime. It's like, no, no, daddy, just one more chapter. I mean, I lo- absolutely love that. To your point about being successful in life and saving lives, you know, couching literacy as a saving lives opportunity. I mean, I notice it in, in kids in the classroom, my own kids, you know, it's, it so permeates the rest of their life, whether it's creativity and in art or when they yeah. play, their playtime is richer. There's a storyline and a plot to the playtime, which yeah. just didn't exist before those kind of richer stories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's another, you know, obviously literacy, something I've been dealing with lately, it's, it's, a, it's a phrase that I've copyrighted this, but it's thinkeracy, which is teaching kids how to think. And, and every time they go into class, we're going to say, what are you going to do after school? You know, I don't know. Well, let's, what could you do? Let's, let's start laying it out. You could read a book. You could play soccer. You could, you know, and think it through past that first thought that you had. And, and they're constantly class after class learning to think. And my mother was a teacher. Teaching me to think things through was, you know, it's it just so valuable. And, and, and you can do it with kids. You just, you just start the habit and you just keep going at it in every class. It wakes them up and gets them going and gets them excited and gets them interested. And, you know. Speaking of, you know, children's literacy and, you know, the work that you're doing, uh, you know, you got to partner recently on a book uh, with Dolly Parton, who, you know, shares a, obviously yeah. a passion like you and, and, you know, childhood literacy. So tell us a little bit about Run, Rose, Run and, and how that, that partnership between you and, and Dolly blossomed into a book. I, I just was interested in doing something with her and I went down to Nashville. I went to, to Vanderbilt, so I knew Nashville a bit anyway. Um, and Dolly and I got together for a couple of hours and we talked about maybe some kids books. And then we talked about an adult book. Uh, which became Run, Rose, Run. And we're, we're very similar in that we both come, we're both like million to one shots that we would make it. Dolly came from the hills of Tennessee and like 12 kids or so in her family. And the chances of her making it when she headed to Nashville at 18 were slim. And, and I come from, my father grew up in a Newburgh poorhouse called the Pogie and his mother was a charwoman. She cleaned the, uh, the bathrooms and the kitchen. And so my chances of making it when I went to New York were about a million to one. 
And um, I don't know, my grandmother had a saying, hungry dogs run faster. And she sort of drilled that into me. And I actually have an autobiography coming out, uh, James Patterson by James Patterson. And all these stories are in there, including a bunch of stories about getting kids reading. And, and it's just story after story after story. It's not a, the usual kind of you know autobiography where, you know, let me tell you all about uh, uh, my hometown or whatever. It's just, just stories. You know, my dad... As I said, he grew up in the poorhouse and then he was about to go off to World War II and he got a phone call and this guy said, my name is George Hazel and he lived about 25 miles away. And he said, just bear with me. And he said, tonight after dinner, my parents took me downstairs to the living room and they said, George, we love you so much and you're going to go off to this terrible war. So we have to tell you we're not your natural parents that you're adopted. And then over the phone, this guy said to my father, I'm your brother. And uh, it, it's just, at any rate, it's just story after story like that, you know, which I think is a, is a nice way to lay out somebody's life, another human being's life. So I guess I have to ask this question. You know, you've written so many books um, that people have consumed. You know, why, why did you think it was time to, to tell, you know, the James Patterson story? Well, it was during COVID. I, I had a little bit of time and I just started writing stories down. I went, I think these are pretty cool. And, I, and it, it focused me. I, I loved doing it once I got into it. And um, I, I just thought that I could both inspire people and, and, and surprise them, uh, that people that really like my books would really like the autobiography. And some people who maybe either aren't familiar with me or have a point of view, that they'd be really surprised that they read this and go like, damn, this is pretty good, <laughs> pretty exciting, pretty interesting. Pretty, this guy has led a life and, and um, you know, he kind of came from nowhere. And, you know, from nowhere to becoming the best selling author in the world. So something happened and, and, and the book tells you what happened. Yeah, I, I think it's such an awesome story that so many of your your readers in particular, I think, are, are going to want to hear and want to learn about. Now, is this your how many books have you done that were uh, that were nonfiction? I don't know how many, but it started out with uh, uh, the, the Jeffrey Epstein, Filthy Rich. And I was just with a friend of mine down here and we had done a documentary movie uh, Murder of a Small Town, which was about my hometown, Newburgh, New York, and then uh, Belgrade and Pahokee. And what we were trying to communicate is, even though those are tough towns with some problems, that there were a lot of good people. And, and it was a really good one, a couple of Emmys. And we were thinking about, well, let's you know maybe do another uh, documentary film. And he started talking about the Epstein story, which people in Florida know, knew, but they didn't know it too much around the country. And I said, I don't want to do it as a documentary. I want to do the book. So that got me going. And then I did the Aaron Hernandez, you know, the football player. Yeah. Yeah. I read that book, All American Murder, uh, probably a couple of sessions ago. And I, you know, you, you'll be happy to know that that session was pretty much all of your books. Uh, I, I, I have a rule, you know, usually it's only fiction during session, uh, but I made an exception for All American Murder about Aaron Hernandez, which was a really, really well done book. I particularly liked uh, the parts of that book where you talked about his time at the University of Florida. Yeah, well, it was a tough time. And, and uh, when we did the documentary, we did ultimately do something for Netflix and Urban Meyer, you know, talked to us, which was which was good. You know, the other area uh, in, in terms of the nonfiction, and I, I really love the way these turned out. A friend of mine down here is Matt Eversman. Matt was the actual sergeant in Black Hawk Down. He, that part was was based on him. And I heard Matt talking to military people one time, and he would get them to talk about combat. And that's not 
easy to do. And I went to Matt and I had this whole, I, I said, I have this idea for a book, walk in my combat boots. And uh, uh, we went out and we, we interviewed about 125 uh, men and women who had been in combat. And then the, con- the, the interviews are maybe 40, 50 pages. And I would turn them into these five, six, seven page nuggets where you'd get a sense of that, of that person. And, and then a couple of stories. Uh, our mission was, if you serve, you would say Everson Patterson got it right. And if you're one of these people that, you know, like pretends you know about stuff, you'd go, I had no idea what the military was like. And now I understand it. And then we did ER nurses. And it's the same thing. People go, oh, yeah, I love nurses. You have no idea what ER nurses do. It's more uh, uh, extreme. It's more you just, it's, it's almost hard to believe that people do what they do. It's 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 I mean, Matt, who was a, an army ranger, he, he, he would do these interviews and just get exhausted. Because, I mean, these are heroes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we had we certainly saw that on display, you know, during COVID as well. Yeah, yeah. I, and we wouldn't let them talk about COVID to the end of the interview because we really wanted a feeling for the whole thing, who they are, how they got involved in, in nursing and what their experiences were like. I want to circle back, you know, to to the book that you did with with Dolly Parton. I, you know, you, you said earlier when you were talking about kids, you said, you know, I want the whole goal is to say, give me another. And I, you know, I think, look, I think adults clearly feel that way about reading your books. You know, hey, I want another one. And uh, which is why you've sold so many. But what I thought was cool about this book, in addition to you partnering with Dolly, was, you know, the storyline of a, you know, someone who like you going to New York and Dolly going to Nashville, you know, came to Nashville to try to make it. Um, it's a really cool story. I, I, I'm somebody who usually likes to read fiction as opposed to listen to it. And this is one of the exceptions where I actually did both. But I but I got it on Audible because Dolly does one of the characters, which I thought was super uh-huh. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does. She does. She is. I mentioned that line with my grandmother, hungry dogs run faster. Dolly is a hungry dog. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. And we've become, I mean, really, really close friends. She Not this birthday, the birthday before she sang happy birthday to me over the telephone. And uh, I wanted to, to say, Dolly, could you call again? Because I want to record it, but I didn't do it. <laughs> and then we went out when we went on tour. We went to one of the places was Austin, Texas, and we got interviewed by uh, Connie Britton, who was in um, Friday Night Lights. She was a, the coach's wife. And uh, Dolly, man- or we mentioned the thing about her singing happy birthday. And then Dolly said to the audience, there were 6,000 people. He said, well, let's sing happy birthday to Jim tonight. So 6,000 people <laughs> sang happy birthday to me, which was very cool. But she's a, she's a wonderful person. And we're really, really close now. Uh, she sent me a poem for this birthday, uh, 12-line thing. And it's, uh, it's called New Old Friends. And she basically, and she wrote actually a song with uh, Kenny Rogers about that. There's no such thing as new old friends. And she said that she believed that until I walked in her door. And now I'm a new old friend, even though we've only known each other for a little over a year. Uh, and, and, then, and then she said, I will always love you, you know, Dolly. So uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a really wonderful relationship. Yeah, that that's really special. I I did love because you mentioned you know when you guys first walked through the door and met each other, new old friends. But uh, you know how you, when you talked about the book, you know you said, hey, you know both of you, you know, no agents, no lawyers, just the two of us to talk. That's about. right. Yeah, we made the deal. We just you know, and and afterward, the you know the agents were like, wait a minute, hold it. Nope, no, wait a minute, hold it. It's done. <laughs> and and we were both happy with it. And honestly, that's my theory about a lot of deals. And I, and I enforce it in Hollywood to some extent. Say, look, 
I don't want you you're going up there and thinking up stuff that is important to me and wasting a lot of time and spending a lot of my money. Here are the five or six things. If I'm missing something, you tell me and I'll, t- I'll tell you whether to chase it or not. Nope, just these five things. That's it. Make the deal. When you've worked so hard, you and Dolly both to make it, it probably is a little bit easier to kind of, you know, focus on the things that matters as, as part of the deal. Well, our whole thing, and it's a good thing in life in general, was at the end of the day, we wanted to be proud of the book and, and the album because, you know, it, it, there's a book and an album out. You know, there, there are songs that the, the character Annie Lee uh, uh, writes in the, in the, in the uh, book, but then Ali, or, uh, Dolly went out and actually recorded those songs. Which, which is very cool. That is cool. I haven't got to listen to the songs. You know, I finished the book the other night. What, what I think is really cool for people who are into music, and I, I love music. My wife is super into music and singer-songwriters, was sort of the how you all laid out the story, but in doing so, really talk about how it is that people write songs and collaborate on songs and how people like a Dolly or a, as the character in the book, Annie Lee Keys, you know, writes songs all the time. And uh, so that was kind of cool. Now, is that something that you, you knew a lot about music? Well, she's amazing. I, I knew some things about it. But, you know, I, you mentioned when we got together for that couple of hours, I went home and I had given her a little bit of an outline for the book. Two days later, she sent me her notes on the outline and she had written the lyrics for seven songs already. That's Dolly. When we were in the when we were in the meeting, she said, "Jim, I, I, I've written thousands of songs, country songs." And she said, "I could I could write a country song standing on my head. Want to see?" <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Well, it is a uh, it's a fantastic book. I really enjoyed it. I hope you know people who are listening pick it up. I know it's on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, but uh, whether you you read the book or listen to it and get to hear Dolly as a character, now we got a movie coming. We just uh, signed up with Reese Witherspoon uh, to produce it. So, uh, and and she she produces good stuff. So, I'm, we're real hopeful about the movie. Oh, I'm excited about that. Well, I, I look I look forward to that for sure. Now, you and Dolly, obviously, you know, both involved in child literacy initiatives. Extremely passionate about both. In fact, the the New Worlds initiative was modeled in part off of you know yeah. Dolly's uh, Imagination Library yeah. program. So have you guys collaborated at all on the childhood literacy front? We haven't. We sort of left that off as something maybe to do at some point. But yeah, no, that's very successful and wonderful thing that she's done. I think they've been responsible for a couple hundred million books getting out to kids. And they do that thing, which I think you do in Florida, where you know the, the books come and the kid's name is on the thing, which is great. Which is great. This is, I mean, because little kids don't get a lot in the mail or whatever. So it's, it's a very neat thing. I still get excited when I get, you know, books in the mail. So I'm sure, uh, I'm sure the kids are pumped about it. Well, I, I look, hopefully I get to be, I want to be a fly on the wall when you and Dolly get together on, uh, on childhood literacy. I think that would be, uh, really, really something. Yeah. 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 Well, look, I mean, you're doing a great job in Florida, you know, uh, is doing a terrific job and the potential there is, is, you know, really to break the bank here. Uh, so I hope that, you know, we just continue with the programs and, and, um, you know, spend all that education money really wisely because it will save lives. And, and for every year we don't do it, we lose lives. So, uh, that's a real stimulus to, to really do it as well as we can. Absolutely. Well, James, thanks so much for being with us. I, no, you know, thank you. This is great. You know, I can't oh, wait for you. people to pick up your book and uh, I'm going to be looking for your autobiography. I'm excited about that. It's a great story to tell. And, and thank you, especially on behalf of, you know, 
myself, the Florida House, and, and you know, really children all over uh, the nation for everything that you've done to really step up and use your platform on behalf of children's literacy. We really appreciate it. Okay. Well, all my best to everybody at the Capitol. God bless you all. Thanks, James. Appreciate it. 